looking this morning at distorting the truth. Actually, we're looking at avoiding that, but the message title is Distorting the Truth. I'm not planning to distort the truth, and hopefully you don't want that either. So uh, before we begin the message in Matthew chapter 7, let's look to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you so much for your amazing love, for your grace. We thank you for the opportunity we have to gather on your day in your name in a place that has been dedicated to you. And so we ask you to speak to our hearts through your word and through your Holy Spirit. I ask that you would convict us of sin, correct us, and I ask that you would encourage us. In Jesus' name, amen. False teachers are all around us. They're all over the place. In so-called churches right here in Casa Grande, there are people standing up, holding a Bible, and then not teaching what the Bible really teaches. Jesus warned his followers about false teachers in Matthew chapter 7, verse 15. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear good, I'm sorry, a good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, by their fruits, you will know them. Beware of false prophets. Beware of false teachers. In the New Testament, we find Paul and Peter, John and James, Jude, and the writer of Hebrews all saying, beware of the false teachers out there. And in our day, there seem to be more prevalent because it's easier for them to get their message out. You know, when I was a kid and there was a false teacher in a town that we lived in, he had a small group. Now he could be online and impacting millions. So in the words of Jesus, beware of false prophets. And there are three types of false teachers. The first, there are some who are evil. Paul writes that some people are ministers of Satan, and we'll look at that verse together in a few minutes. And some of the false teachers are intentionally leading people astray. They're evil. And there are some false teachers who are self-seeking. Peter wrote about many false teachers who seek to exploit people. Can you bring up that slide? We're going to move through them quickly. For their own covetous, greedy desires. They're, they're focused on themselves. But I think this third group is the biggest group of false teachers. Those who are confused or ignorant. Now, I don't want you to misstand, misunderstand ignorant. Ignorant means you don't know any better. Ignorant does not mean you're dumb. You can be brilliant and be ignorant in some areas. So it, it, they're confused or they don't know any better. There's a lot of teachers out there that aren't teaching the truth of God's word. Some false teachers are good people who just don't know any better. What, a lot of so-called spiritual people, they'll tell you, you just need to follow your heart. 
What does Jeremiah say about your heart? Jeremiah 17, 9. Your heart is deceitful. Your heart can lead you astray. You, it's okay to follow your heart as long as your heart is wholly following the Lord. You have to examine your heart. You have to expose your heart. That your heart is capable of leading you astray. So there are good people who become false teachers because they stray from the truth of God's word. They're not evil. They're not self-seeking. Some of them are self-sacrificing and generous and kind and gracious and wrong. They are just as confused and, according to Jesus, just as dangerous as the evil teachers because they lead people astray. So let me give you four reasons why false teachers are successful. And then toward the end of the message, we'll look uh, briefly at the way we interpret the Bible here to help us understand it correctly. So number one, false teachers are successful because they quote scripture. Most of the false teachers, they'll, they'll quote the word of God. I, I remember before I was a Christian, I was listening to the Maharaji Yogi. Some of you will know who that was. He's a transcendental meditationist. And I was listening to him, and he was quoting scripture. And I was in there, wow, listen to this guy. And my dad said, he's wrong. He's using it incorrectly. He's taking it out of context. He, he was not addressing the truth of God's word. But he quoted from Jesus in order to give authority to his message. And people who don't know any better get swept up in it. Jesus said, you will know them by their fruit, not by their words. By the fruit, the end result of what they produce. Look at the people following them. Are they genuinely, truly following Jesus Christ? while learning and obeying the word of God? Are they loving and caring? Are they able to discern the truths of scripture? Look at their fruit. So they quote scripture. There's a second reason why they are false teachers are often successful. They look honorable. Here, I want you to mark your spot here and turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. They seem to be honorable. They give the appearance of being spiritual. So in Second uh, Corinthians chapter 11, verses 13 through 15, Paul's writing to the church in Corinth, and he says to them, for such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also transform themselves into ministers of righteousness, whose end will be according to their work. I had a guy in town that I was witnessing to over time, and he just wasn't really interested in knowing about Jesus. But we lived near each other, and so we'd talk to each other sometimes, and, and I'd bring up what was going on at church, what was going on in our Bible studies, what we were learning, how we were following the Lord, and he'd really tolerated me a little bit. But then, then he had a heart attack, and he had surgery, and he showed, came to me, and he said, all excited, he said, Terry, I got to tell you, I 
believe in Jesus now. And I said, really? How did that happen? He was all excited. He said, in my hospital room, an angel showed up. And an angel told me I needed to follow Jesus because he had the way of truth. And so far I'm tracking and thinking, this could be good. And then he said, he had the way of truth, just like Buddha and Muhammad and Confucius and Jesus. Aren't you excited for me? Satan transforms himself into an angel of light. Did he see Satan in his hospital room? Maybe not. But where did demons come from? They're fallen angels. He might have seen a demon masquerading as an angel of light. And he believed him and rejected the truth of God's word. The false teachers seem to be honorable. Within our community, some of the teachers that I think teach error, they're upstanding citizens, they're honorable, they have great families, they look good, but they're not teaching the truth of God's word. So they seem to be honorable. I don't think anybody would fall for a false teacher who looks like, you know, remember the old things where a guy'd pull up his sleeve and he'd have a bunch of watches. Want to buy a watch? And you know, he got all those watches from stealing them. And uh, I did buy a set of steak knives out of the back of a van one day. And afterward, my wife said, you know, those were probably stolen. And I thought, probably. <laughs> it didn't even dawn on me. Uh, but they were just good knives, good knives. He said his, his boss had ordered too much and asked him to help sell off some of the inventory. But he didn't look sketchy. He just was. But. So, so these false teachers don't come up to you with a tattoo on their forehead that says, I'm not speaking truth. And some of them are confused. Some of them actually believe they are teaching truth. And they're not. And so a third reason why false teachers are successful is too many believers don't know their Bible very well. And so when a false teacher, like I listened to when I was a kid, quoted from Scripture, they believe it. Because the guy's using Scripture. But he's not using it accurately. So I don't mean to put people down. I have friends in our town that are in some of the churches that I will mention today, but I'm going to mention this because you need to understand there are people who are teaching God's word in an inaccurate way. Not that we have Victory Baptist Church is not the only church following God in Casa Grande. There are other churches where the people are genuinely following God, but there are some that are not teaching the truth of God's word. So I want to focus on the difference in what we teach. Some of those people are great, kind, wonderful, helpful. Some of them are friends of mine. But they're not following the word of God the way the Bible presents the truth. So Christians and Mormons or Latter-day Saints, they both claim to follow Jesus. But the Latter-day Saints believe Jesus was a normal man who became a god. And Christians believe what the Bible says. Jesus was God the Son in eternity past, and he stepped into humanity 
and became a man. The God-man, Jesus the Christ. Jesus said in John 6, I have come down from heaven. He stepped into, so God became man. Man does not become God. Jesus was God, is God, always will be God. He's also man because of the incarnation. Christians and Jehovah's Witnesses both believe you should obey God. How many of you believe you should obey God? Yeah. But Jehovah's Witnesses believe salvation comes through obedience, that you earn salvation by following God's rules and commandments. But Christians who really believe God's word, they say the Bible says in Ephesians uh, 2, 8, and 9, that we're saved by grace through faith. It's not of works. It's a gift we receive from God. And so there's a difference. In fact, Christians and Jews and Muslims all believe in one God. Yet Jews and Muslims do not believe in Jesus as the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God, and God the Son, the Redeemer, and the only way of salvation. As Paul wrote to Timothy, he said, There's one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, the one. And in Jesus' own words, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me, John 14, 6. So even within so-called biblical orthodoxy and evangelicalism, there are people who teach that God will not send anyone to hell. That nobody will end up in the lake of fire except Satan and the demons. And there are evangelical pastors and orthodox pastors who teach this. But that's not what God's word says. In fact, Jesus said the opposite. In Luke 16, Jesus not only talked about a man being in hell, he described the man in hell because he rejected the truth of God's word. Revelation 20, 15, anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. So false teachers thrive because many believers don't know their Bible very well. In fact, if you look at studies of people who used to be active in a church and now they're in a cult that's not teaching the truth of God's word, the majority of those people who left the church and they're now in their cult, guess what church they used to belong to? Guess what church they grew up in? Baptist. Why is that? And it's not because we're dumb. It's because sometimes they just listen to the preacher instead of learning the word of God on their own. Instead of following the truth of God's word, they got swept away. And I tell you, that, that's a burden for me as a pastor. The Bible says at some point, some way in heaven, I'm going to have to give answer for your souls. And, and I know people who used to be here and under the teaching of our word and used to come over to our house. And, and now they're involved in churches that are so not teaching the truth of God's word. And some of them have joined and be officially become part of that those groups, some of the groups that I mentioned here today. 
you need to learn your Bible and, and know what it says. In fact, we're going to begin a series uh, in several weeks, not right away, on thinking like a Christian, being able to evaluate and apply God's Word into our lives. That may be early next year. But there's a fourth reason. Why, what's the first reason why false teachers thrive? They quote Scripture. The second reason? They look good. They appear to be honorable. The third reason? <laughs> you can read that, right? They don't know their Bibles very well. And the fourth reason is too many believers believe they should not judge. Right? 1 John 4, 1. Believers, do not, be I'm sorry, beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Jesus talks about our need to evaluate, to give discernment, to be able to um, make good and righteous judgment calls, not to condemn, but to clearly know the difference between truth and false teaching. If you're back in Matthew chapter 7, the Sermon on the Mount, we're going to go back to chapter 5. I just want you to listen to these words and about our need to have discernment, to be able to think clearly and decide what's right. Not to be judgmental and critical, but to be able to recognize truth from error. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 20. Jesus said, For I say to you that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. As we looked at that several weeks ago when we were in this study in the Sermon on the Mount, actually a couple of months ago, our righteousness is a gift from God through Christ. We receive Jesus' righteousness when we trust Christ. It's, it's a gift. We don't earn it. We don't earn our righteousness to please God. All of our righteousness, Isaiah says, your best looks like filthy rags in the eyes of God. And so we, we receive Christ's righteousness. That's how we can exceed the scribes and Pharisees. Chapter 5 and verse 22. But I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And whoever says to his brother, Raka, or fool, shall be in danger of the council. But whoever says, you fool, shall be in danger of hellfire. Raka is empty-headed. If anybody ever calls you an airhead, that's what that is. Uh, uh, don't be that. Look, Jesus is saying these words. Jesus is saying you need to have judgment, discernment, understanding. You need to learn his word. Chapter 6, verse 15. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your father forgive your trespasses. All right. If you're going to forgive somebody's trespasses, you have to recognize they trespassed, right? You have to have discernment to recognize they trespasses, and you have to forgive. If you don't show mercy, God withholds mercy from you. 
These are judgments that we need to have. Chapter 7, verse 1. Judge not. Oh, everybody loves this verse in the Bible. Judge not that you be not judged. Don't you judge anybody. But look at how it's connected to verse 2. For with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. And with what measure you use, it will be measured back to you. And then he goes on to say in verse 5, First remove the plank from your own eye, then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. So he doesn't say, hey, don't ever judge anybody, ever. That's not what he's saying. He says, don't condemn people. Examine yourself first and then try and help and minister to other people. And so there are Christians who hear false teaching. But you know what they say? Who am I to judge? Well, you're responsible to follow God. If you're in a church that teaches error, you need to correct it. Get the church to correct the error or maybe move on to a different church. Occasionally, preachers make mistakes. You know, I made one a couple of months ago. Actually, I make them every day. But in the pulpit, I made one a couple of months ago. I said something wrongly. And then one of the members came up to me after church and said, I don't think you said that quite right. And I said, how dare you uh, confront God's anointed? (laughs) No. I said, you're right. I didn't. And the next Sunday night, I corrected it. So I'm not saying that, you know, I may say things wrongly every now and then. Kathy says I take the little stories that involve us sometimes and embellish them a bit. I have no idea what she means, but but see, God's word can't be changed. If I'm fudging God's word, that's a problem. And if you put up with it, that's a problem. So we need to show discernment. We need to be able to judge here. Chapter 7, verse 13. Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it. There's a difference in the method of salvation. You have to follow the Lord. Chapter 7, verse 19. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, by their fruits you will know them. So Jesus says, beware of false prophets. And what he doesn't say is, be aware of them. So like, you guys sitting over here, you know those guys are over there, right? Right? (laughs) Let's try this again. You guys over here, you know those guys are over there, right? Yes. Okay, good. (laughs) So so you're aware of people. He's not just saying be aware of. He's saying beware. Be careful. Don't follow them. There's, there's a, a preacher I used to love. I would listen to his sermons. I was reading a book that he wrote. And I stopped and I looked at it again. And I went to the Word of God and I cross-referenced and studied. And I realized that's not true. And then I started finding more things that weren't true. He had an engaging voice, an engaging manner. He was humorous. It, it was tr- seemed to be truthful, and some of it was, and some of it wasn't. And I had to come to the place where I 
got rid of his books and I stopped listening to his messages. We have to show discernment. We need to know the truth. And you have just as much responsibility for making sure our church follows the truth as I do. I have more opportunity, but you have just as much responsibility. If something seems wrong, you have to follow up on it. Beware of false teachers, false prophets, false teaching. So how can we know the truth? How can we know the truth? Well, you can learn the proper method of biblical interpretation. You can learn it. It's not natural. It's not, you get saved and you have this anointing from Jesus, which you do have an anointing of the Holy Spirit after you trust Christ. But it doesn't mean that you have all the answers. Jesus even said to some of his followers, come on guys, grow up, follow, track with me here. Why aren't you listening? And the writer of Hebrews said, the time you ought to be teaching others, you have need to start over with the basic principles. So just because you have the Holy Spirit doesn't mean you have all the answers of God's word. You need to study. It takes work. It takes effort. So there's a, a five-part process that we use to understand the word of God, to help us understand and apply it. Five-part method to accurately understand scripture. So... Uh, Perhaps you've heard somebody say to you, well, it all depends on how you interpret it. Anybody ever heard that when you're talking about the Bible? Yeah. Um, it all depends on how you interpret it. They say the truth of the scripture, the way they say it is as if the truth of the scripture is determined by the one reading it and not by the God who wrote it. So let me surprise you here, okay? It really does all depend on how you interpret it. It really does. But you can't have your own interpretation. So uh, our five-part method to accurately understand Scripture is, on your bulletin there, it shows up to normative, literal, grammatical, historical, contextual, dispensational. That's a couple slides ahead, Jeff. Take a brief look at this. We're going to look at this a little bit closer. The first is normative literal. Can you pop that one up? There's several slides we skipped. But normative literal means that we don't seek a mystical understanding. But instead we seek to understand the most common reading. The most normal, literal, common reading. Unless there's a biblical reason, we should not. So when the Bible uses um, symbolism... When it, when it uses a metaphor or a simile, or uh, then we interpret it that way. But most of the time, the most normal, literal, common method. So we don't read, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. And we think, oh, you know what? I think that's talking about aliens who come to earth pretending to be people but they really want to eat you. <laughs> you think I'm being goofy? I've heard worse than that from a so-called pastor. And the aliens don't come from outer space. They come from a port near the city of El Paso. 
I've been around El Paso. It's not a good place. But I don't think there's an alien port there. But, but listen, normative literal means we don't look for a mystical meaning. We read it and we understand it. Secondly, is grammatical. It means we, we read the Bible like a regular book. Not, not that it is a regular book, but we read it the same way. We're looking for subjects and objects. We're looking for nouns. We're looking for verbs. We understand adverbs and adjectives. And maybe you don't remember all those things, but, but you still, you know how to read a book. And so you read the Bible like a book, grammatically. It's written in sentences. And the way it's written, the structure of the sentences help us discern and understand the appropriate interpretation. We don't pick three or four verses out, uh, three or four words out of a verse and say, ooh, well now it looks different. We also, thirdly, read God's word from a historical perspective. We have some folks in here who are older than me. Most folks in here are younger than me, but there's some older than me, and there's some old enough older than me. They're older than my dad, who's still alive. But nobody's old enough to have been around when the Bible was written. Nobody on earth. The Bible was written between 4,000 and 2,000 years ago. 2,000 years before Christ up until uh, 100 years after the time of Christ. That's when the Bible was being written. The last words written in the Bible were written about the year A.D. 95. Almost 2,000 years ago. So, because it was written at a different time, in a different place, in a different culture, sometimes we have to understand the history to make it work. We need to understand a little about their culture before we can take what we read and then apply it to our culture. So we look at it historically. And by the way, we're working on a video. I've been working on the text of it. We haven't even started recording it. That will spell this out in more detail, give more illustrations for this, and hopefully we'll have that available within a month or so, uh, have that available to you. The fourth part, to read a scripture from a contextual perspective. What does that mean? Well, look at verse 15. It says, beware of false prophets. What comes before verse 15? Yeah, what comes before verse 14? What comes after verse 15? 16, and after 16. Did you know when the Bible was originally written, there weren't chapter and verse breaks? Other than the Psalms, there were no chapter and verse breaks. The Psalms were separate songs done. And Psalm 119 had blocks of verses that were set for the different passages in Psalm 119. But, but other than the Psalms, the Bible was written as text. And it was 15, 16, almost 1,700 years after the Bible was written, before the verses were put in there, so that we could find them, so that it would be easier to find them. But there's no mystical value in the verses. Kathy and I heard a sermon once where the pastor was preaching from the three sixteens of the Bible. And we had John 316, 
and we had all these three sixteens from the Bible. That's not how God wrote it. It wasn't, it wasn't a bad message. He wasn't departing from Scripture. It was just a little bit silly. So when you're reading, I actually have a, a New Testament that doesn't have the verse breaks, and it's intriguing because you, your brain's already think your brain thinks of a break when you go to the next verse, right? You read verse 15. Okay, now it's 16. Okay, now it's 17. Actually, I just got a new Bible. My old one's starting to fall apart. And, and the text is in paragraph blocks. It's not written so that the first part of each verse is the number on the left. It's in paragraph blocks. And that's interesting. But I actually have a Bible that has no verse breaks at all. And so you're just reading the text. And to be honest with you, your brain reads it differently. So some of you have an online Bible, and some of those online Bibles on your computer or in your hand, you can block out the verses. And I encourage you to do that in your reading sometimes. Read the whole book of Romans in one sitting without the chapter and verse breaks, and you see it differently. It's not that the verses help when we're trying to find something. Like, aren't you glad you didn't have to bring your scroll And I said, we're going to be in the scroll of Matthew today. So you dug through your scrolls. You got out the scroll of Matthew. Turn about six turns. Aren't you glad we have chapter and verse? It's easier to find things. But it's not anointed of God. And so when you look at within the context, you have to look ahead of it. You have to look behind it. You have to look, for instance, this is in Matthew. You have to read all of Matthew to see how this verse fits into all of that. You have to read all of the Gospels to see how it all fits together. In fact, you also want to see how does it fit within the overall scheme of all of Scripture. Because when Jesus is saying, beware of false prophets, we have false prophets showing up in Genesis all through Revelation. And so we need to look at the scope of Scripture, the context In the immediate context, what's right before and right after. In the relational context, what's in that whole letter or book. And in the whole context of Scripture to see how things fit. Sometimes people pull things out of context. Sometimes they'll take part of a verse and say it means something. And and they don't think of the rest of the verse or the verses before and after. And so we have to make sure we're understanding God's truth as it connects to all of God's revelation. The Apostle Peter wrote, there is no scripture or no scripture as of any private interpretation. So you can't take a piece of scripture and separate it from the rest of scripture. You also cannot have your own take. I shared with you before, well, with some of you before, uh, last year, I went to a pastor's thing up in Phoenix, and there was a well-known pastor, he's published a lot of books, speaks all the time, has has a ministry that has helped a lot of people come to know Jesus Christ, and I, I appreciate that. But in this gathering of the pastors, he said, he read a passage of Scripture, now, here's the traditional teaching of that passage. And I thought, that's exactly what that passage says. And then he said, here's this other teaching. And then that really wasn't even close. He said, now here's my interpretation. 
Okay, you can't have your own interpretation. There's one interpretation. What does it say? What did it mean when it was written? What does it say? We look at the context of it, the historical setting and all, but you can't have your own personal meaning, your own personal interpretation. If you do, you're doing what the false teachers do. They have their own interpretation and they get their own following. So the, the fifth part of the way we study the Bible is dispensational. Uh, that although God has not changed, he has chosen to work uh, with people in different ways through different dispensations of time to reveal more of himself and more of his will over time. So like the Old Testament, it's mostly the nation of Israel and God working with them. And the New Testament is mostly the church and God working within the church age. And, and there's some other ways that we look at the dispensations of time. So false teachers were thriving in Jesus' day, and they're thriving in our day. And they come to you like wolves in sheep's clothing, and you avoid them more effectively if you know the truth. Your brain is aware of a thousand things at once, right? And at this point in the service, some people are there looking at their watch. They're thinking, okay, it's almost over, and they're starting to disengage. So don't stop. Look up here and listen carefully because there's a false prophet, a false teacher that's involved in your life every day because you have a false teacher in your head. I got a couple of ideas about these false teachers. The false prophet in your head may tell you that God's really not that concerned about this little thing. He cares about the big things, right? But God said the little boxes spoil the vine and, and a little leaven leavens the whole lump. Just like a, a little cancer can kill if it's not removed. God cares about little things too. The false prophet in your head may tell you that God understands when you can't afford to tithe. And yet God says the tithe is holy. It belongs to him first. And that you should not rob from God. The false prophet in your head may tell you that if God were kind and loving, you would never have to go through what you're going through. But God's word says that he is using this difficulty to help you develop greater spiritual maturity and it's for your good and his glory and someday you may look back at this and thank God. The false prophet in your head may say, it's okay to miss church just this once because you've been there a lot, right? You go almost all the time. But God's word says, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. I know there's times when you physically can't be in church. If you've got a contagious disease, please stay away. But when you can be, honor it. Be there. In fact, God's word says, don't forsake your assembly together. And, you know, I can tell you that in my own life, the big turning points, big decisions in my life made in church were never on a special occasion. I never felt the Holy Spirit say, you need to go to church today. You're going to make a big decision. It was just a normal day at camp when I got saved. It was a normal day in church. 
when God spoke into my life and changed my life. All right, kids, listen up. Teenagers, maybe especially, listen to this. The false prophet in your head tells you it's okay to dishonor your parents just this once because they don't really understand you and your life, right? But God says, honor them always in everything. Obey them while you live in their house. That's hard sometimes. But the false prophet in your head says, this is okay. Teenagers are supposed to rebel, right? No, not if they're Christian kids. That's not what God wants to see. All right, here's one for everybody. One last one. The false prophet in your head will tell you it's okay to worry about this thing because it's really big. It's really important. It's okay to worry about that one, right? What does God say? Don't worry about anything ever. Nothing ever. Don't worry. See, we have a tendency... To not speak God's truth to ourselves. We have a tendency to draw different lines than God does. To teenagers, we say, okay, I need to honor and respect my parents. I need to honor and respect them this much. But then I have some latitude and freedom over here. And God says, no, you honor and respect them this much. Even if you feel like you're in a box. You honor God by honoring your parents. My dad's in his 80s. I'm in my late 50s. I still have an obligation to honor my parents. Don't have to obey him anymore because I don't live in his house. But I still have to honor him. So don't listen to the words of the false prophets. Beware of false prophets, even if they come from inside your own head. There's a picture in there that we skipped over. Can you bring that up? The Beware of false prophets. From the back, they look cute and cuddly. Don't get near the front. A wolf in sheep's clothing. Now, we started the service. Tim had us grab our bulletins and read a verse from the front, and we're going to end our service doing the same thing, but some of you don't have a bulletin, so it's up here on the screen if you don't have the bulletin, okay? Then Jesus, say it with me, please. We're not going to read the reference. We all know it's John 8, 31 and 2. We're just going to read the verses. Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed him, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. It takes a little work. But you can learn God's word. And beware of false prophets. Father, thank you that you help us to grow in our understanding of your word. I pray that you would help us to remember that no matter how much Bible we learn, 
The focus of Bible study is not so we can know more Bible and so we can know more Jesus. We want to learn about you. We want to follow you. We want to be, draw closer to you. We want a relationship that thrives on who you are and what you have taught us from your word. So I pray that we would be people of the book, people who study and learn and hold themselves accountable to your word. Father, if there's one here today who's never trusted Christ as Savior, I pray they wouldn't just walk out the door. I pray they'd ask somebody if they could show them how to be saved. We could show them from your word what the Bible says about how to be saved. Not what the Baptist church or any church says, but what the word of God says about how to be saved. So I pray that you would help us to follow you, to love you, to serve you. Thank you for your love for us. In Jesus' name, amen.